Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, you know, I'll just be honest with you guys. There's not a lot to go over from Tuesday's four-game card. But lucky for you, we have other plans up our sleeves here at Fantasy NBA Today. And today, I wanted to talk to you guys just a little bit during the show about the advantages of watching the games live. Don't worry, we'll we'll get into the box scores. They always come around. We'll we'll break them down. Four games, Miami and Detroit involved in a low-scoring slugfest. A sickly Anthony Davis trying to fight his way through for a Lakers that ran into a buzzsaw shaped like Evan Fournier in a very weird twist. Denver, Portland, Dallas Clippers. I mean, there were some decent ball games there. No Nikola Jokic on the Denver side again, uh, which maybe was that the, the biggest news? I don't know. In any event, I want to start the show by talking a little bit about the advantages of watching games live. And it stems really from, I believe, assessing fantasy value in situations where there's uncertainty. You don't need to watch Jimmy Butler live right now, for instance. Just, you know, he's fine. You don't, I mean, you might want to watch Steph Curry or Jokic when he's playing or KD or whoever. You might want to watch those guys live, but you don't have to for fantasy purposes. The guys to watch live are the ones in places you wouldn't expect. Or trying to make assessments on more fringy players. I bring this up with an example in hand. A bird in hand, or whatever you want to call it. The bird in my hand is Kemba Walker who started, once again, for the Knicks with no Derrick Rose in yesterday's ballgame and still could not break 24 minutes because Emmanuel quickly came off the bench and shot it, made actually a few really big three-pointers, like pull-up, leaning, contested threes, tough shots, and he drained them. And that bought him a bunch of extra playing time. Now, we can probably pull some of that from a box score. You can say, oh, look, Emmanuel quickly quickly played 22 minutes, Kemba Walker played 23, and then there were like two or three minutes where I think R.J. Barrett was the de facto point guard on the team. They didn't need a more traditional, not that Emmanuel quickly is a traditional point guard, or nor is Kemba, but, you know, Kemba, more of a distributor, certainly between the two guys over his longer career, as opposed to IQ and his shorter one. What's the point of watching that ball game live if you feel like you can get the gist of it from reading the box score? Well, the importance was watching Kemba had no lift at all. You got to watch Knicks games to see this. And I, I watched yesterday's game really closely because, you know, there are times where I'm not watching the Knicks. You can't watch every single ball game. I, I can't watch tape of every single ball game. I have a life. We have... I have 13 fantasy teams to manage, among so many other things going on, that you kind of have to, and it goes back to us assigning homework on some ball games. Hey, look, I understand not everybody has league pass. Not everybody has five, six consecutive hours to watch basketball at night. So here are the things I want you guys paying 
closest attention to. And for a while there, the Knicks were kind of on and off of that chart. Lately, I've kind of pulled them off of that chart because I don't think, certainly in Roto Games Cap, almost any of those guys have been worth throwing into the starting lineup. When I say any of those guys, I mean Kemba, Fournier, Derek Rose has been right on the fringe. Alec Burks has been ever so slightly above the fringe. But it's hard to trust any of them. You could say, well, lately you can trust Alec Burks. Okay, fine, but when does that run out? Lately you could trust Derek Rose. Fine, when does that run out? What about, we could have said the same thing about Kemba for, you know, games like four through nine this year. Oh, you can trust Kemba until you can't. So Knicks became... In my estimation, a team where, as fantasy analysts, and I'm including all of you guys with me in that. I know some of you want me want to just listen and get the answers to the, the quiz, but that's not how this show works. This is a show, Fantasy NBA Today has always been predicated on, it's been built on the notion that I want you guys to be able to do this yourselves to some degree. You can always come back to me for confirmation, whatever it is that you're looking for, second opinion, but I want you guys to feel like you can do it. I want to give you the tools. The eye test is a really important tool. Watching Kemba Walker, and I'm only I'm not trying to pick on Kemba because I actually I drafted him in in two or three spots thinking, "Oh, this guy's at like 85 or 90. This feels like a pretty safe bet to beat that per game even if he's going to get rest days and well, instead, the Knicks are playing him every game, but he's only playing, you know, 22, 23 minutes these days. Not great. But again, you can pull that information from a box score. What I don't believe you can pull from a box score, in a situation like this one, where you're trying to get that assessment on a player, is how do they look in the ball game? How are they moving? Are they beating people? Which, by the way, the answer with Kemba was, nope. And literally everyone on the Knicks was beating the Lakers for the first 23, eh, 21 minutes of this ball game. It was a pounding. Knicks are up 20. I think it was 61-41 with about three or four minutes to go in the first half. And the Lakers uh, outscored New York by eight in that last couple of minutes. And then managed to actually get even. Lakers went on a 40-20 to scoring run to tie the game at 81. Ended up a pretty good ball game after all that. But... Just thinking about the beginning. The beginning of the game, it was Fournier. It was Randall. Everybody was getting what they wanted. Nerlens Noel was doing his stuff. Wasn't scoring a bunch. They don't need him to. But it was easy for everybody besides Kemba Walker. And I hate to put it this way, but this is a guy that I've been sort of kicking back and forth and catching little bits of. But it was time to really hunker down and watch in real time as a game was going. What is this guy looking like now Fournier played a better ball game admittedly he just sort of got hot and stayed relatively warm throughout the night I don't this didn't change my uh level of confidence in him all that much if anything what I saw from that ball game was that the Knicks really want to have Alec Burks on the floor for 25 plus minutes so he probably does deserve a spot on a roster and unfortunately a guy that probably doesn't is Kemba would I pick up Derrick Rose in head-to-head? No, because you're going to see these types of situations as an ankle thing. They're trying to play him every game, but we know his body's not going to be able to hold up to that. I think Derrick Rose and Alec Burks probably both 
are worth grabbing in games cap formats. And then Burks, we can we can probably just say all formats. And this is all stuff you can get maybe from a box score. You can see from the boxes that Burks has had X number of decent ball games in a row now. And you can see from the box score, and I know, by the way, we're tying this into one of the games from yesterday, which is great. That means there's one less game we actually have to recap. You can see that basically since the Knicks lost to Milwaukee on November 10th, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, he's been pretty reliably a part of the rotation. His minutes over that stretch, 29, 25, 22, just wasn't, didn't have it that game, 27, 25, 29, 26. So hovering around that 26-minute mark. And in those ball games, not only is he an efficient foul shooter, which, by the way, is actually extraordinarily useful, over the last two weeks, he's hitting 85% on about two and a half to three free throws per game. He scored. He's expanded his range this year, which is kind of weird. I know that six three-pointer game is uh, creating a bit of a lopsided number there, but overall this season, he's much closer to two three-pointers as opposed to one. Four boards, two assists. He's he's getting steals. I think the blocks probably don't hold, but if he's not rostered, he should be. Go get him. He seems like he's a part. This is kind of what we saw from Burks at the beginning of last year before that brutal ankle sprain took him out for about a month, and he never quite looked himself after that. But the Knicks bench is good. He and Derrick Rose in particular leading the charge there. And then if you want to look at Derrick Rose, who I know missed yesterday's ball game, he's number 109 on the season. He's been a little bit less of an upward arrow then has Alec Burks. Rose got off to a good start. He had a couple of bad games, a couple of good ones. It's kind of bounced back and forth. Uh, he's averaging like a block and a half the last couple of weeks, which is something we know isn't going to stick for him. Um, the steals might. But to me, the minutes haven't been quite where I'd want them to be, and I don't know that it's going to fully tip in his direction. So if you're looking at this Knicks team, 9-cat, Julius Randle obviously belongs on rosters, even though he's having a down year, which we all kind of figured was coming with them adding a bunch of dudes around him. And literally everything they did on offense was through Randle last year. Julius belongs on a roster. Right now, Nerlens Noel does, and he probably does even when, when Mitchell Robinson is back. Nerlens is one of the most fun spot starters in the NBA. He's, he's incredible on the defensive side. Mitchell Robinson, I think, also does belong on rosters. He's had multiple games where he's had to leave partway through, or he'd probably be sitting right around the edge of the top 100 also. It's holding his minutes down ever so slightly, kind of screwing with the averages. So Mitch Rob, Nerlens Noel, Julius Randle, the bigs on New York, and then I think the only other category league guy is Alec Burks. R.J. Barrett you can grab in points leagues. And that's it. Fournier's a no for me right now. I know he had a big ball game, but he's still a no. Kemba has moved into the no. Um, and Derrick Rose is close, but you know, a bunch of blocked shots is not going to convince me that it's time for him to be uh, an all-systems-go kind of player. And these are the kinds of things that you can get from watching them play. Burks looks good. He looks better. The eye test says this is a guy who fits what New York is trying to do better than Kemba Walker in that starting unit. Kemba trying to play off ball with Julius Randle as, and, and R.J. Barrett as the one and two ball handlers, it's not working. 
Now, if they make an adjustment to the starting lineup, if they start to shift some bodies around, and I don't know that they will because I think they've won, what have they won, three games in a row now, or is it just a couple of home wins for New York? Let's go to the books on this one. Uh, no, it's just a couple of home wins in a row. But they are 10-8, and eight, so it's not like the sky is falling in New York. I don't know that a massive shift is coming, but if one does, we're going to want to tune back in and kind of see what everybody looks like in a new potential role. But that's where we are with New York. That's something that I think you really could have only learned from watching the game. Because if you watched the game, you also would have seen that Evan Fournier just got hot. It's sort of, you could sort of pick that up from the box score. 8 for 14 is a pretty good look. He was lava hot early in this game. And so they had kind of no choice but to keep him out there because a lot of the offense went dormant. Lakers finally did a better job of scoring some points off turnovers. And by the way, the other notes on that ball game, Russell Westbrook, I know he had six turnovers, but he actually played really good basketball here in this one. It, it, I like to pick on his fantasy game, but this was a legitimate triple-double. He was orchestrating. He was the only player on the Lakers that could create anything at all. And uh, remember when I told you guys you needed to unload Taylor Norton Tucker before LeBron James came back? Well, apparently it doesn't even matter. He has come crashing back to earth. And for Anthony Davis... Ouch, bad free throw game dropped him from number five down to number eight. That's a big dip from one trying to play through a flu kind of game. The AD flu game didn't quite go the way the, the Jordan flu game did. They needed more out of DeAndre Jordan, and he did it, but he's not an ad. Avery Bradley got warm. He's not an ad, although he seems to be taking on a bit of a leadership role with the team right now, for better or worse. Uh, but they just they need... They need more effort, which I think you've seen the Lakers talk about. When they started to play hard in this game, they played better than New York. But you can't... Like, the, the first halves the Lakers are playing these days are... And sometimes even the third quarter. With LeBron, it was the third quarter that was killing them because they'd hang in there or even build a little bit of a lead. Uh, they just got to play harder out of the shoot. And this may be a byproduct of... The oldness, it's manifesting itself in a way that I don't know that we expected it to. Sometimes you see older players kind of ease into individual basketball games. In addition to easing into the season overall, kind of easing into the game. You see that with Chris Paul, who's had an, an incredible season, but he does sort of, he tends to take it kind of easy in the first quarter. Let the young guys get going. Let the young guys run. I'll get some other people involved. Unfortunately, right now, the Lakers have a lot of dudes that want to kind of ease into the ball game. Taylor Horton Tucker is young, but he's not that great of a defender yet. They need AD to just go out there, and he's got to be great early in games. That has to be his role. I think we've sufficiently covered that basketball game. I did not watch Miami-Detroit live, and I feel kind of good about that pack. Uh, Miami side... Jimmy Butler had a weirdly pedestrian game, but it was fine. His teammates picked him up. Bam was fine, missed some free throws, or it actually would have been a really nice ball game. Good to see him get five assists. Good to see him play through a cold himself. There's regular non-COVID things floating through the NBA. I really do think Bam is going to be all right. This knee thing is annoying, but it seems like he's finding a way through it. And if he starts to block a shot, ever at some point this year and maybe that's knee related that's how he moves back up into the 30s and then you're not all that far off from where he was drafted which was around 20 i need him to get to within about a round of that and then hopefully 
we stopped seeing the DNPs creeping in. Tyler Hero had a big ball game, uh, which they needed, and, and he's been able to kind of float his value lately because Butler missed a few games and Hero's played better, and he's been able to do... Uh, well, first of all, he got... Well, he didn't have any steals in this ballgame, but he's been able to get some boards and some assists here when Jimmy was out, um, and that's kept him where he's at. I, I still think if you can sell him for a top 75 guy, you'd do it because this is about as good as it's going to get. Uh, for Hero, shooting 47% from the field, 87% of the free throw line. Those are numbers that probably come down. On the Detroit side, uh, Jeremy Grant has had a couple good ball games in a row. Pistons play hard, you know? They're not they're not thrown in the towel. With Grant, the field goal percent continues to be an issue, even rolling over from last year. Cade Cunningham, who's a, a very exciting basketball player, sits at 127, and you're going to get some of these rookie-type games. You're never going to pry him off of somebody, but if he does this two times in a row, then maybe you try to go get him. Because someone else you now has done a month of squatting for you. His value, in my estimation, now goes up. Every day he gets closer to kind of figuring things out, his value goes up, even if it hasn't happened yet. Corey Joseph, fill-in point guard, basically. Nine points, nine assists, three steals. He's a start as long as he's starting. When Killian Hayes comes back, Corey Joseph is a drop. And I do still kind of like Frank Jackson. I don't know what his role is going to look like when Hayes comes back. And I know this wasn't a particularly good fantasy game, but he played 31 minutes before fouling out in a tough matchup. His minutes have been good. The problem is that his, his stat line feels somewhat unsustainable in that, you know, he had that three-block game that's kind of pushing his value uh, over his last four games, he's hit 14 three-pointers. He's shot the ball well. Although, if you look at last year in 18 and a half minutes, he was out there gunning, shot 41% from three, 81 at the free throw line. There might be something there. I just, I don't know, man. Like, the, the numbers all scream, this guy's not going to get many defensive stats. But again, you know, the minutes have been significantly on the rise. And they seem to like him. I don't know that you need to add him. He's only 18% rostered. And this isn't the kind of game that's going to wake everybody up on Frank Jackson. Uh, but he's in streamer territory right now with uh, an eyeball towards trying to get above that. Just an eyelash, maybe, might have been more instructive. Uh, two more games out for Isaiah Stewart, and then he'll be uh, all systems go as well. Uh, you know, the, the thing to monitor with the Pistons continues to just kind of be the health of Killian Hayes because that's where your stream stuff is uh, is going. I want to also, by the way, because my, my intention was not just to talk about why you watch a game live and then tie it into one of the games from Tuesday night. I do kind of want to talk about it from more of a broad stroke standpoint because the other reason to do it is when you're assessing fringe-level fantasy players. And I'll tell you how that works after I remind you guys that we have a chance to odds-boost our way to almost $500 this week at mybookie.ag. I still can't decide if I want to bet Raiders plus 7 or Cowboys minus 7. I've got people telling me to do both sides. It's probably going to come down to just a straight coin flip, but you might as well bet all 250 bucks on it because only one time a year do you have an opportunity to throw $250 on a coin flip where if it comes up heads and you called heads, you win almost $250. And if it comes up tails, 
you just get to keep your $250 bet. And all you got to do is wager that $250 over from now until the end of time. And then you can cash it out just like it was any other money you put into the system. So it really is a crazy amazing deal happening on Thursday. It's the Raiders-Cowboys game. I, you know, when I do it, I'll happily tell you guys what I did, but you don't, you won't want to go off of it because I don't know what I'm doing with the NFL. I, I, ultimately, I probably am going to just flip a coin and put $250 on one of those two damn teams. It's an against-the-spread wager, and then I'll just close my eyes and hope it hits. And if it doesn't, I'll be like, damn. But I'll get my money back. And then I'll throw that on the 13 other odds boost happening Friday through Sunday over the weekend, which could also be worth close to $250 if they all hit. They probably won't all hit. It'll probably go like 9-3 and three or 9-4 and four or 10-3 and three or something like that. But by the way, you're going to make money going 10-3 and three on wagers. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I need to do the math for you on that one. Uh, again, as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, last year I did this. I lost my free, my risk-free bet. I missed it. I think it was like a, it was like a Houston Texans game last year, maybe if memory serves. Does that sound right? Doesn't matter. I lost it, but then I played every odds boost over the weekend, and I tweeted it out because it was happening every hour. They opened up a new odds boost, uh, and we went, I think, ten and two or nine and three, and I made like hundred and twenty dollars doing that. So if that hit and I had won the risk-free bet, I would have made three hundred and seventy dollars last year, roughly. Maybe a little bit less than that because of the VIG. Although right now, by the way, the Raiders are plus 105 because a ton of money has come in early on the Cowboys, and they don't want to move off that touchdown number. So you could actually win more than $250 if you put 250 on the Raiders right now. Um, again, I'm not trying to tell you which side to go. I'm just giving you the odds on this thing. So again, if that hits, and if the odds boost all hit, we're talking about close to five hundred dollars in effectively free cash for my buddies over at mybookie.ag if you have an account already just do it don't miss this chance to put five hundred dollars in your pocket by just sort of setting an hourly phone timer over the weekend and then doing the risk-free bet on thursday and if you don't have an account a couple of you reached out to me on tuesday to ask about it all you've got to do is go to mybookie.ag Choose sign up. It's in the top right corner. And on the third page of sign up, please make sure you type in the word hoopball in the promo code bucket. It does unlock some uh, deposit bonuses if you wanted to use them. I actually don't bother because of all these other incredible promotions that don't have rollover requirements. But please do let them know we sent you by typing in the word hoopball. All one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. It's on the third page of sign up. You guys know I don't ram this down your throat all that often. The reason I'm doing it now is because together, and there are many thousands of you that listen to this podcast, if we all went and made three to $500 from our buddies over at mybookie.ag, they would feel the sting and they'd still come to us and say, hey man, thanks for sending a bunch of people our way. It's really cool that you guys got us some new users. So let's go win some damn money together, please. Again, that's mybookie.ag. Promo code is hoopball. And we haven't changed that yet. Hopefully, it'll get changed in the not-too-distant future. Because, again, we are a sports ethos presentation. Uh, this, of course, being Fantasy NBA Today. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Bespris, your host. Please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. As I've said before, if you guys want to be a part of our sports ethos expansion, please reach out. You can email support at sportsethos.com or hit me up on Twitter 
at Dan Bespris. We are looking for someone who wants to change their own existence and run a fantasy sport division. Hit me. It's a big lift. It is not a side gig. This is a I want to work in sports moment for you guys. And if you if you think you can do it, and it's a it's again, this is a lift, dude. Hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Okay, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this this notion of watching games live and how that functions when you're assessing more fringy fantasy players. I think it's actually extraordinarily important because you want to know how those fringe guys are getting their fantasy stats. That's a really weird little distinction that I don't think gets talked about very much. It's really easy to look at a box score and see, oh, somebody got 13 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, But what's, to me, much more uh, informative is understanding where they came from. Were they putbacks? Was it like four offensive rebounds on one possession? Was it in the flow of the offense? Was there a play called for them? What role were they serving that got them to that marker? And I think maybe a decent example of this is to look at a team like Minnesota right now, where Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, and they're going to be, by the way, they're on our homework list for tonight, have been playing much better lately. Vanderbilt and Cat could not coexist to save their lives last season. On fast breaks, they both ran right to the front of the rim. There was no spacing. I saw multiple fast breaks where the ball just sort of ping-ponged off of the uh, like Cat and Vanderbilt hit him in the back, bounced off a hip, whatever. It was ugly. But they're finding a way right now to coexist. And then, you know, the overlap there is actually not that severe. They're kind of moving things around, but they do start together. And then on, a, on the Patrick Beverly front, he's just generally been the Beverly we saw early in his time with the Clippers when they were kind of the grinded out team, as opposed to Pat Bev just hanging out in the corner and letting Paul George and Kawhi do everything. He's getting in there, and he knows he has to be the voice for this team. The young guys in the Wolves are not going to be the voice. Patrick Beverly is going to be the guy that wakes him up and gets him fighting and clawing and growling on the floor. And they need that, and it's translating. So let's watch the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight, and then we can talk a little bit about what we saw. What did we learn by watching the Timberwolves play a game live okay two more quick games to recap uh from your tuesday evening slate and then we'll send you off into this wednesday i'll also mention by the way we're gonna have shows on thanksgiving um we'll recap the big wednesday we'll also have a show on friday that'll take us into the weekend and it's actually kind of nice that thanksgiving is a thursday because we can do the big wednesday recap on the thursday show and then friday we can kind of do the weekend review where you break down ads and drops and holds and all that good stuff and it doesn't matter that there aren't any games happening on Thanksgiving Day. Denver, Portland. Mildly illuminating stuff, I guess. I'm, and I said this in my tweet storm last night, I I have issues with these teams that are down like four guys. And I feel kind of the same way about Denver right now that I do about the 76ers, which is if you pick up someone to stream in this situation right now there's so many pieces of news that could drop leading up to the start of the ball game that could screw up your plan meaning 
I like the streams when there's one guy out and one guy's picking up the slack. That's an easy one. You're watching for one piece of news, meaning is the guy coming back? With Denver now, P.J. Dozier also hurt. Not that that's a big difference maker, but he goes down in this cavalcade of injuries that have beset the Nuggets this year. Will Barton is there. Okay, fine. He's regressed a bit, but he's still playing well. Jokic could be back at any moment, which dramatically shifts what's going on in the big men's spots because Jeff Green and Jamichael Green were able to separate what position they've been relegated to, which previously was you guys can pick up some backup center and backup power forward minutes behind Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic. By the way, I'm not on the Aaron Gordon thing. You guys probably know that about me by now. When Jokic comes back, whatever Jeff Green is doing, and he had a good ball game yesterday, there's no arguing that, pretty much disappears. He goes back to being small-time fill-in guy. And then Facundo Campazzo, who had a pretty good ball game, he's still stuck behind Monte Morris, although the Nuggets might have no choice but to go a little bit smaller. Austin Rivers is an option. But all these things point to... As anyone comes back, and, you know, a lot of their guys are out for longer stretches. Jamal Murray's still a few more months. Michael Porter Jr., we don't really know, but it sounds like it's going to be a long time. I don't really like the streams in Denver. I don't think the payoff is there, and there's too many moving parts. Plus, there's kind of a hot hand thing that goes on. Michael Malone's going to go with the guy who's playing defense and hitting shots. If that's Jermichael Green, terrific. If it's Jeff Green, great. If it's Monte Morris, if it's Facundo Campazzo, whatever it might be, you're stuck in that carousel where you might just pick the wrong fill-in guy on the wrong day. So I don't like it. Leaving it alone. Damian Lillard is back, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. And the reason I'm willing to go out on a limb and say it is because he's now pushed himself all the way up to number 37 on the year in nine cat leagues after being near the edge of the top 100. He was like around number 90 when... Nothing was working for him. Free throws are up to four per game all of a sudden, still shooting 90% out there. Steals have remained a tiny bit on the low side. He did get one yesterday, but here's the thing. He's top five guy over the last two weeks. Number four, actually, in that stretch, last six games. He's averaging 26, four, and seven. He has a block mixed in there. Shooting has gotten better. He's 47% over that stretch, three and a half, three pointers, and he really could even get better than that so dame is there we're good on dame the by low window is basically done maybe someone doesn't realize he's turned a corner maybe whatever this stomach eh, not stomach but abdominal thing with him maybe it's sort of reconciling cj mccollum bounced back he'd been kind of quiet last little bit not that anybody was moving on from those guys but good to see that the two big guns get rolling rob covington nine and seven with four defensive stats a couple of assists hit his free throws made his shots He's come around. I mean, there's no other way to put it on on Covington either. Over the last two weeks, he's inside the top 70. He's taking about six shots per game over that stretch, which with, with him, that's about enough. You know, if we could get him up to eight in a magical universe, that's how he gets inside the top 40, top 50, even higher than that, honestly. But six will do because he's involved. The steals and blocks have come around as Portland's begun to kind of figure out the way the pieces fit together. And frankly, the way that different parts on the floor need to fit together because Larry Nance who had a quieter game only 15 minutes yesterday he fits well with different guys than Nurk does John C. Billups is starting to to kind of I think get a feel for the rotations the lineups what actually 
make sense. Blazers are now 10 and 8. They've won four in a row. They've been very good at home at 9 and 1. They're just 1 and 7 on the road. And they go in to take on the flailing Sacramento Kings, which I, this is an interesting little one because can the Blazers get it figured out on the road? Is that what's happened here over their last four games? Have they sorted it out on the current four game homestand after getting blitzed? By the Nuggets. Their only road win was in Houston. So it's been troubling. The home road stuff. But again, uh, you know, that Houston road win was effectively well, they then they went and had to play the Nuggets and just didn't even show up for that ball game. But that, I mean that was kind of their last road game, and they looked okay against the Suns on a, a tough back to back even before that. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. This will be a, a nice little taste test on whether the, the Blazers just stink on the road or if they've begun to to kind of figure out the, the pieces that fit with one another. Nas Little, Anthony Simons have proven to be pretty nice backups. I'm still waiting on Cody Zeller to go down or Nurk to go down, and then Nance really gets cut loose. I think you're hanging on here. You know, he, he's been playing 22 to 25 minutes a game lately. He's been, Nance, I should say, has been worthy of a roster spot. But honestly, I'm most happy about the fact that we just held on a little bit longer on a few guys. We held on a little bit longer on Boucher, and it didn't work out. We held on a little bit longer with Rob Covington, and it did. And I'd like to throw TJ McConnell in that mix, but his has been a weird season where he's obviously been very successful when either Levert or Brogdon is out. And then he's had a couple of okay games when the team is fully healthy, but mostly because he's been working more off-ball, it hasn't been as great for him. So that one's kind of a weird mixed bag. But Covington now is inside the top 90 on the year. I said he, I thought he was going to be around 80 or 85 this season. He's number 86 right now. Steals and blocks could even go higher. I like the six shots per game. That's enough for him. Seven points, two threes, five rebounds. All these little things, they, they go a long way. And he's, he looks like himself again. Last game on the docket from yesterday was Dallas and the Clippers. This one... Somehow made it into overtime. Absolutely the craziest ending. Paul George with one second left. Clippers shaved five points off a deficit with about 20 seconds to go in the ballgame. Forced a jump ball, hit a three. Kleba hit one out of two free throws. Clippers hit another three. We got good Reggie Jackson. Missed a couple of free throws, but man, he is a he is an interesting one. If you can figure out when it's all going to click, go for it. He's uh, number 112 in nine count right now. He's right on the edge. I still think he's generally startable at that spot. Uh, you know, it's that same thing where points late kind of mean more. You know, Reggie's scoring 18 to 20 points a ballgame most, most contests. There just aren't that many guys floating around in that range that do that. And obviously his big problem is his field goal percent has been atrocious. He doesn't get much defensive stuff either, but his field goal percent has been atrocious. If that does continue to just slowly inch its way up towards 42, then he's inside the top 100. That's all it takes because then the scoring goes with it. Uh, love that he got three steals yesterday. Paul George was good. And uh, Clippers also got Marcus Morris back. He played 31 minutes in his first game back. In his post-game press conference, he mentioned that he didn't expect to take any more time off for his knee. He says he believes he's strengthened it to the right point, and so he's going to roll with it. Now, the Marcus Morris thing, and the, and the funny thing, too, is that he hit 12 shots yesterday, or took 12 shots, uh, made just four of them, figured he'd be pretty damn rusty. 12 has kind of been his magic number, at least lately in his career, last three or four seasons. When he can clear 12 shots per ball game, 
He's been inside the top 100 in nine cat. I don't, I don't rightly know. Go a little Southern on you here. I don't rightly know if Marcus is going to get 12 shots a game. Reggie and Paul each took 23 yesterday. But if Morris gets a dozen, he'll probably score about 14, 15 points a game. He'll hit you two threes, get you five or six rebounds because he's a power forward and a center on that team. And then the defensive stats are generally pretty damn low for him. I don't think there's almost any upside with Morris, but I do think there's a pretty high floor. So head-to-head, there's probably some appeal there as kind of a floor-spacing big man if you don't need the traditional stats. You want scoring in threes out of a center-eligible player? Cool. Games cap? Nah. And then the impact he might have on Ivica Zubats is the other part of this story, because this is an overtime game. You can see Paul George pretty much played the whole freaking game. I think he had four minutes of rest the whole night. Zubats played 26 minutes, which is about a minute or two lower than where he was at before Surge came back. And this, again, is a game that went an extra five. He just didn't really play much late, despite the fact that Dallas was running a too-big lineup for most of this the later stage of this ballgame. None of them were more were traditional bigs in that Kleba, Porzingis, those guys can step out. But the Clippers went to a smaller lineup late, and that's a concern, that if Zubats is not going to see fourth-quarter minutes, his average minutes are almost definitely going to come down off of the 27-28 that he was posting that was pushing him into that top 70 territory the last couple weeks. You're not prematurely dropping here. The premature... Uh, I'm going to make a word play there that's a little bit lowbrow humor. The, the premature drop on Zubots, just at least give this a minute. Like, you don't have to start him in a games cap if you don't want to, just to see what's happening here. But I wouldn't punt on Zoo because we don't really know what's going to happen yet. We can act like we know, but we don't. And for Dallas, Jalen Brunson hurt his foot. They're off for three days, so hopefully this will be a short-term thing. That's the worst, man. Games cap guy who gets to play a quarter and then doesn't get to finish the ball game. So the stats weren't there, and it does count against your games played. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith had a good ball game. He's, you know, he's the zero upside guy. We made some jokes about him. If uh, if Brunson misses time, it helps Tim Hardaway Jr. more than anybody else. And then the other story here, first of all, Luca came back, and Porzingis is number 10 in nine cat leagues right now. But the other story is Maxi Kleba, who had eight and nine and six, two steals, a block, and a three-pointer, stole all of the big man minutes alongside Porzingis from Dwight Powell, basically, who played disappearing act. Kleba didn't start either. Willie Cauley-Stein started this ballgame. He played 17 minutes, and I don't know. I mean, we've seen Kleba's minutes bounce around. Before his injury, his uh, abdominal injury, he played 16, then 29, then 22, then 17, then 23. It it was all over the map, and I'm assuming it's probably going to go back to that Dallas, whatever the head coach, whoever it may be, Carlisle, Jason Kidd, they've always kind of, I say they always because Kidd's been there for a month, but this is what we've seen out of Dallas, that they don't trust any one of those guys nightly. If Powell was playing better, he probably steals the minutes. If Kleba plays better, he steals the minutes. You're probably not going to see Willie Cauley-Stein play well enough to steal the minutes. But the point is, I, I'd be very surprised if Kleba played more than about 25 minutes in the next ballgame because that's just how it's been. Still, he has great fantasy potential. He's a roto darling because he gets threes, steals, blocks, boards, does him on all good percentages. He's one of those doesn't hurt you anywhere, you know, third string centers that could 
get the intermittent bump up to a second string center in fantasy. So I added him in a couple of places Latin last night just to see how this thing shakes out with basically the like 85 to 95% expectation that within the next two games, he plays like 21 minutes in one of them because that's just how it goes. Monster, monster pre-Thanksgiving card tonight. I, I you know, <laughs> homework-wise... I'll just rattle off the teams that I think there's probably stuff to pay a little bit of attention to. Um, Memphis, that's going to be health-dependent. Washington, there's always a little bit of something out there, but it's not a a particularly large deal. Uh, Houston, we're just still waiting to see if anything comes through. Minnesota. Vanderbilt, McDaniels, Patrick Beverly, that kind of stuff is floating around on the periphery. Philly, injury stuff. Portland, can they take it on the road? Nance, what's his deal going to be? And then Sacramento, second game under Alvin Gentry. How did things maybe shift a little bit? Do they at all? I would assume they will somehow, but we don't uh, specifically know exactly how much. So a handful of teams blended in here on a 13 game Wednesday card. We'll try to keep everybody up to date on social media later on uh, today, which again, you can follow me at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We do a lot of our funny business over there on social media. Had a fun tweet storm last night and a lot of you guys got involved with it. Welcome to the new listeners, new followers. It does seem like they're still a nice number of you guys kind of coming out of the woodwork these days. That's super cool. I hope that uh, we can keep that going. Please do drop a five-star review on the pod. That is part of what keeps it rolling. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Again, we will have shows Thursday and Friday of this week. Tomorrow, big Wednesday recap for Thanksgiving morning before we all hit the trip to fan fade in the afternoon. I'm Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today at a Sports Ethos presentation. Welcome back, by the way, to Nikola Vucevic and Joel Embiid, both expected to play in their games coming up tonight. And that is why streaming some of these things is such a pain in the butt. All right, we're gone for real this time. See you tomorrow.